You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast. We're speculating in Revelation again just because Darren loves to speculate in Revelation. Darren, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Excited for today's podcast. Absolutely. Pastor Darren ends. Thank you. Sorry, I should have used Pastor in front of it. Now, Pastor Mitch Lynn, how you doing, hey. sir? Hey, what's up? So today, and by the way, I'm Rob Lazzi. I am on top of it this morning. Need more <laughs> coffee, that's for sure. Take a sip. Yeah, there it is. Get it down there. Because you know what? <laughs> by the end of this podcast, we are going to predict when Jesus is coming back. Day and time. Is that right, guys? <laughs> yeah, we'll let Darren do that. We'll do our best. All right. So, Mitch, yesterday you preached in Revelation 17. Can you give us a a brief recap about that? Yeah, yeah. So in Revelation 17, you get this picture of a woman riding a beast. And there's obviously a lot of symbolism in there. Um, What most people believe, whether... You know, you you believe all this has already happened in Revelation. You believe that this will happen. Is most people believe that 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 is a symbol of you know an, an economic religious state uh, that has come or will come. Uh, Rome is mentioned in there. You know, a, a city on seven hills. So all that to to say, okay, when the end co- comes, right? Or or for believers now, what does what does it look like? to have a relationship with state uh, and what does um, spiritual immorality or as the author put in there, uh, spiritual adultery really look like because so many of us are, uh, we tend to drift in our faith and it's, it's a, sometimes a natural drift uh, and then other times it's uh, an intentional drift. And so what does it look like to remain faithful and, uh, uh, in the end, uh, an amazing picture of Jesus coming back to earth. And uh, what's what's shocking in there and uh, very countercultural is, you know, we expect the, the Lion of Judah to appear uh, at that point. We expect the, the one that we saw in the beginning with the sword out of his mouth and about to dominate fools like in Avengers Endgame. Uh, but what we see in the end of Revelation is they all mount up to take on the lamb, and it just says, and the lamb is victorious. And those who are with the lamb are called chosen uh, and faithful. And so what we talked about was what does it look like to remain faithful in the midst of uh, all of that? So we got into some politics. We uh, got into some end-time speculation and uh all the while, what does it look like to pledge your allegiance to the Lamb, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as John the Revelator says? Yeah, and one of my favorite things that 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 Mitch did was when he ended it, he said, "Like you, you can put your faith in Jesus, but that doesn't change the fact that He is King, or that He is the Lord." And so, 
like sometimes we as pastors will say like you need to make Jesus king like well no he, he is king he is the lord and so your decision of whether or not to trust in Jesus is not dependent on your like you you can't make him king he is king and so line up with the true king of the universe and then things will 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 come into alignment for yourself because you're finally worshiping what's true no, that's that's an interesting way to put it, Mitch. Good job. I like that. So then, since this is really my <laughs> first time, yes. <laughs> and then, so when you uh, think of Revelation, as this is my first time getting a chance to talk to you about it, is like, are you more of a literalist? Has it happened? Like, I've, you know, it's a apocalyptic literature in an age where we don't have apocalyptic literature. How do you like? How do you define Revelation? Like, has it happened? Is it happening? Or is it going to happen? Yeah, I mentioned yesterday, and Darren and I have talked about this a little bit, that I was taught that prophetic literature, when you look at prophetic literature, you look at it like a, a person looking at some some mountains from a distance, right? Let's say the, the prophet is standing on the edge of Lyman in Colorado, and they can see. Like, they can are, see they be, are they be, are they being punished by God by being in Lyman? That... <laughs> no, they're not in Kansas. Uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and so they see the mountains, right? But but what they can describe is is at at some points a, a vague picture. And so I think what John the Revelator gives, and as well as a lot of prophets uh, in the Old Testament, and this is what I think that. Uh, John was talking about when he's talking about the Antichrist in First John, where he says that some have come and some are, have not come yet, and the the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. I think that that's what he's talking about, where he's he's painting a picture of the mountains that he sees, but as we get closer, we're able to see maybe in more detail what that looks like. So I I believe that these things are uh, the majority of what the the judgments that are happening will happen. In the future, uh, some of Revelation has already already happened. Obviously, you know the churches, uh, the the woman giving birth to the the Messiah. I believe that that was Israel giving birth to to Jesus. So I believe that those things have already happened. But uh, I believe that the majority of it is future. And so the prophet John the Revelator is seeing these mountains. And as we get closer, we're able to maybe see in more detail. I believe the the main example of that is, um, you know, Matthew quotes Isaiah, right? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a, a son is given. For Isaiah, that prophecy was fulfilled, right? The prophecy was fulfilled by the end of the book, that the, the son came. For Matthew then is able to see the trees on the mountain, says, no, that is actually talking about Jesus, and so uh, it's a dual fulfillment prophecy there. But I believe that that's my view of Revelation, that, yeah, John, when he was writing, was maybe applying some of these things and using what he saw. He's seeing these terrible things happen in Rome, and he's seeing what has happened to the nation Israel and its history and what has happened in Rome, because there's Roman imagery and there's um, Old Testament imagery all over the place. And uh, what does that mean ultimately in the future. For for me, when we get to, to prophecy as one of the three literatures that Revelation is, it, it's an interesting way way to put it where like, and if you think about the, the whole image, if you're standing at Lyman, you can see Pike's Peak. And we, of course, live here in the foothills. We can see a whole lot more. And so the question is, what was was the prophet only seeing the future fulfillment or did he see 
the near fulfillment of, of those kinds of things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so specifically in Revelation uh, uh, with, well, with John? Well, uh, prophecy in general, and then maybe specifically Revelation. Yeah, I think, it, I think it depends on the prophecy. I think what John was using was he was using the language of his day to describe what he saw, right? Well, those who live in Kansas, when they come out to Lyman and they see Pikes Peak, they maybe wouldn't say that's Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. But those of us who have lived here, we're like, oh, yeah, that, that's right. the big one. <laughs> that's that's Pikes <laughs> Peak. Or if you marry a, a Denver girl. Yeah, you know these things. Yeah, and like so <laughs> being able to being able to point out, hey, this these are the things that I know, and so I don't know, you know, specifically what Jesus revealed. I believe that Revelation is interesting uh, and different from every other prophecy in that you have Jesus quoted throughout throughout mm-hmm. the Scripture, right? So it's very different than a prophet saying, hey, this is the vision or this is what God revealed to me. It's it's that and direct quotes from from Jesus that he is mm. those are the red letters that we're re- yeah. reading in there. Yeah, as as I've come in and taught and I think I did this in our introduction class to Revelation in the first Sunday seminar. Um so I, I taught prophecy as there's there's foretelling, which is speaking into the culture. There's near foretelling, which is, hey, here's some things that are about to happen so that you know what I'm saying to you about your own culture is true. And then there's um future foretelling which is what we typically think of as the prophecy of it's only the the far mountain and and i went and used an example from isaiah 7 uh it's around 11 through 15 i think it's it's the famous scripture behold a virgin shall conceive and she shall bear a son his name will be manuel surrounding that is a whole lot of foretelling where isaiah is talking to king ahaz saying hey you know like you assyria is about to come and and kill us and destroy us and it's going to happen this soon and here here's this this there's prophecy that a, a child will be born and then the verse immediately after that famous prophecy that we latch on to says for before before the boy knows right from wrong which is a specific age i think like 12 or 15 or something like that in jewish culture um before he knows to choose right from wrong the kings that you are fearing will come and destroy you and so even even surrounding that one prophecy, it's relevant to them. And so I, I tend to think of prophecy as much more like we are standing here in the foothills and we're speaking to, to what God is telling the prophet in the moment. We know how this is going to play out soon, but God is also extrapolating that into the future for us as well. So it's kind of a dual thing. And I think as we read prophecy, especially in the Old Testament, and we can relate this to Revelation as well, that there's there's a lot more relevance to them then as much as there is for us now. And I think it's important for us not to skip over the the foothill. We can't skip over Dinosaur Ridge to get to Mount Evans. Right. Uh we, we have to know we have to know both trajectories um to to not get caught up in only the future kind of stuff. No, yes, it, that that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> no, interesting thing about I was listening to a prophetic show on the radio the other day. They were talking about how Uh-oh. many wins the Broncos would have this year. <laughs> well, they and, didn't beat uh, the Niners, so in the well, preseason. Yeah. Well, yeah. Preseason doesn't count anyway. But going back to Revelation 17 and like what John saw with like the woman on the beast, like help it what's the symbolism of that specific event? What's going on there? Or what's yeah, the pro- so 
in specifically Revelation 17, what you see is there's a a woman, right? And the beast has already been described. I don't know. Did you already touch on the uh, beast? And, and Darren, what are your thoughts on right. the yeah, beast? Yeah, not a whole lot. But it's interesting in, um, in how they are revealed. So if we go back to chapter 12, this is the first place that we see the dragon. There's a woman and a dragon. And this is what Mitch talked about. That there's a fight between a woman and a dragon. Um, a dragon, I think the symbol there is just a dragon is a fully matured serpent. So this woman, it has an offspring and it goes to battle with, uh, with a fully matured snake, which has to bring up Genesis three in our minds, specifically three fifteen, the first messianic prophecy of, um, you, he will, will crush your head and he will bruise your heel. Well, the head getting hurt is a lot more of a big deal than the heel getting hurt. And so some offspring of the woman is going to go to battle with the snake. And here we, we see kind of the, an extrapolation of that, of that symbol where there's a woman who has offspring and the dragon tries to destroy the offspring, but it doesn't really work. Later on in chapter 13, we get two beasts. One beast is coming out of the sea and the dragon gives power and authority to it. And, um, People worship the dragon. This is Revelation 13, 4. People worship the dragon because he, the dragon, had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? This seems to be a messianic type of figure, um, similar to Jesus, an anointed one who, who, who has power given to him and, and prophesies uh, blasphemies, unfortunately, um, for 42 months. Uh, we've kind of talked about that here in the podcast. But then there's a beast coming out of the earth, a second beast. Um, and it exercised authority of the first beast and tried to tell people, hey, go go worship the beast. Um, so the, the beast out of the earth gives credence to the beast out of the sea. What's the difference between the beasts out of the sea and beasts? Like, what is there a significance for coming out of the water? Um, the, potentially. So what do you think, Mitch? Most uh, most scholars believe that um, the beast that comes out of the water, the water represents uh, the multitude of of people, right? So that the beast would come out of a uh, one from among us, essentially. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. So then, what's the, so then with this lady like fighting the? What's the big idea here? Is like, is there a good team, or are these like two <laughs> bad guys fighting each other? Like, is this what's going on here? Yeah, bad guy. Bad guy. Should, bad who, guy. Uh, so this I, is, like, this like, is, like, who should I? Who should I be rooting for here? Like, am I it's, supposed it's to? It's a like, trinity go, of bad guys. Yeah, just oh, okay. bad guys and just, more bad guys, and it's just yeah. That that's the that's the picture that you get in the end of Revelation. It's it's bad guy versus versus bad guy, and so what you have in well, seven, there's the lamb too. Just to clarify, the, oh, and the, the lamb. lamb's a good guy. The lamb's a good good one, which is very subversive. Sure. So yeah. uh, you have the the bad guy. You have the the woman, right? And uh, seventeen. Four, she was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup. And so this uh, this woman is represented, most, most scholars believe this woman represents, you know, just this economic power and that everyone just turns turns over to her and uh you know the word here is they they fornicate with her right that and and written on her head is is babylon the great and some scholars so uh mo- a, quick, a lot of a go quick, ahead a quick thing here so rob were you talking about the woman who fought with the dragon or the woman who's riding a dragon 
I was thinking two, riding the women. dragon. Like I can't keep track of the teams okay. in the roster. <laughs> okay, because because back back early in Revelation twelve, there's a woman who who's a good woman, and she gave birth to this right, Messiah like right. figure, likely Jesus. Right. Uh, but there's there's a prostitute woman in Revelation seventeen riding. The I, beast, I'm looking through seventeen, so I'm going to say seventeen here. So. Okay. Gotcha. All I right. just wanted to make sure that was clear for our listeners. Yep, yep. So in 17, uh, this this woman then is uh, has on her forehead uh, Babylon, Babylon the Great, right? The, the issue is that Babylon had been off the face of the earth for 600 years. But uh, Babylon continued to be a uh, difficult point for uh, the nation of Israel, right? The Was it King... Was it King Cyrus um, ended up dominating the nation of Babylon, but Babylon committed uh, horrible things in the temple, and and so this this nation was uh, seen as the the enemy of of Israel. Although Israel had many enemies, right throughout right. history, you look and at Babel the, was the first bad empire in the, in the Genesis one. eleven, yeah, and then they're the one who committed the worst atrocities against Jerusalem and the temple itself. And so that's why Babylon is this symbol of just the great kingdom of evil. Regardless of who it is, whether it's Cyrus or whether it's Rome, Babylon is is the epitome of evil for the Israelites. That's so what you're saying, right? A lot of, yeah, a lot of futurists would say, well, not a lot of futurists. Uh, a good amount of futurists would say, well, this is a literal Babylon coming back into existence, right? Thousands right. of years, 2,500 years after. Does it come out of Iran? Comes out of Iran, right? The literal... Old school, old school location of Babylon. So a lot of people would say that. I, I believe it's more symbolic because the author basically says it's symbolic. Hey, it's a mystery. Uh, written on her name is a, a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. Well, Babylon's been gone for 2,500 years. Now, what what throws uh, some candy to the these people, what, what uh, causes them to drool a little bit is, uh, was it... Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild the literal Babylon in Iraq, what, 20 years ago. And so so then there's, and, you know, Israel is now back on the map after 1,500 years of, or 1,900 years of being no longer a nation. Now they're, now they're a nation, right, back mm-hmm. in the same place. And so um, that's where I think a lot of this, well, it's almost the end of the world come, comes about because we can see parts of these things uh, maybe being literally fulfilled, but I believe that this would be a um, a symbol here, Babylon the Great, mother mother of prostitutes and of Earth's abominations. That this person, this Babylon, is a symbol of um, nationalism. It's a symbol of just people selling out for economic gain, which uh, Darren we never see never. at all in our culture. Yeah, and I think we this passage leads me to ask, and and if and Mish, would you agree with me that a ten pepper take? Uh, which you mentioned in your sermon, like the spiciest take of all would have been in sermon to mention, is the United States a kingdom of destruction like Babylon is, or is it a kingdom of peace like Jerusalem was supposed to be? What would that be a, the spiciest of spicy takes? I think I, I think I have a spicier Ooh, take. Okay, Whoa. go for it. Hit me. I, I'm, getting I look my milk, at this. I'm getting my milk ready, Mitch. Just <laughs> here, getting my milk. Here we go. Bring bananas. I look at this and I, I see, I, I mentioned in the sermon that we want God to bless America, right? Uh, we want God to bless America. And here's a a seven pepper take, and I don't know what, what What's you your category? For Se- seven peppers on a 10 pepper spice scale. It's like bee stings, your pain scale. It's like 
Bear bear bite versus bee stings. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this would be um, uh, stung by swordfish in, in that. Uh, so, here, so I believe that we want we want God to bless America. But you read this passage, and it's it's clear that it's talking about nations, and it's talking about aligning with these different nations. And so when we say God bless America, and by the way, it's it's interesting that the people who stood up and they waved flags a couple years ago and they said, God bless America, um, were the same ones that struggled to say Black Lives Matter. And that's Seven Peppers. So <laughs> I I think that the, the struggle was, okay, well, all lives matter, right? So it's not just Black Lives Matter. Well, what, why do you say God bless America? Do you not want God to bless every nation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that people struggled in that, and you know it's obviously not the same, but I think that it, it's similar. It's not the same, but it's similar. Where we say, yeah, God bless America, but yeah, America. Do, do we not, also mean God bless everyone? Do we mean God bless everyone? Why don't we, we say God bless everyone? All nations matter. Yeah. Right. And so. When you look at this and uh, you you come to the conclusion that, okay, America, the United States is not mentioned in this passage, right? And so where where are we in the in the history? are we are we good? Or are we bad? And what people have said who have had a, a futurist point of view is, well, because we're aligned with Israel as a nation, of course we're on the good side. Hmm. But if you read the the Old Testament, it's clear that those who align with Israel when Israel's doing good are are blessed. Those who align with Israel when Israel is is depraved or are doing are are judged, right? And so the the ten pepper take is that if in the local context, when John is writing this, he would have never said, um, I pledge allegiance to Rome. Mm-hmm. And so as I was writing this, I, I titled the sermon, I Pledge Allegiance. As I was writing this, I struggled with the question, should Christians pledge allegiance to the flag? Right. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? That's an interesting call. Like when you're talking about like with like, you know, saying God bless America and Black Lives Matter. I think what like there's nuances inside of each of those statements similar to like saying hey god bless america it's like are you saying bless america the organization the people running it today or the idea of america are you or saying military are you or, saying like yeah. when you say black lives matter all lives matter it's like are you saying the organization black lives matter or the race of people that are black it's like and there's nuances in there inside of all these when people say things like this and there's nuances in the scripture and how we do things, and it's just, I think the, and I'm a big picture person in the sense of going, I don't think getting lost in the details of stuff, he goes, it's a good thing to know it, but you also go, who are you worshiping, and what's your idea with the worship? Are you worshiping the country, are you worshiping an organization, are you worshiping power, or are you worshiping God? You know, Mm -hmm. that's where, it's like, two things can be true at the same time, where I want America to do well, I want you know, all people to do well. And I want to worship God. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's, the, it's not one, it's not a either or question in my opinion. Right. There's no doubt that we in the United States have unique experience among people of, in history hmm. in, in the industrial age, 
the you know Western countries such as the United States and and others as well. I mean, Japan. It, you know, of course, after World War II, I'm just watching some documentaries about how that all ended. Uh, it, there's no doubt that there are certain privileges and high standards of living that that we have here in this country that's not around the world. And it's also true that you know, Rob, you're saying that there's two things that can be true at the same time. That that success has has come at the expense of other places and other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we say we pledge allegiance to the flag, the flag is a symbol representative of the United States. And as a whole, the United States to other people in the world represents Babylon. I, I think that there are plenty of people in this on this earth who, who see the United States in a very negative light because of their experience uh, of how, you know, we've conducted wars or police actions in other places. Um and we here don't have the context for how they feel and vice versa. And so we, we just have to hold these things in tension and know that we should worship only the lamb and only God. Yeah. Like it's becomes on what you worship. And I'm, I'm a big believer in any worldview when you talk about whether it's like from Christianity to atheism, to Hinduism, to Muslim or Islam It's like, or even when I talk about worldviews, are you, you know, conservative, you know, liberal Republican Democrat is, shine the nicest and brightest light on any worldview and the best worldview will shine through. It's like, we can always take Mm -hmm. the negative side of anything and tear it down. Like the church has got a huge negative history that people have done Mm -hmm. in God's name. And if we just go everything in the, in the side of on the negative side of any worldview, it's like, everything's bad. It's just, it's that critical thinking that worldview of like, you just take it down to its worst and then everything's bad. Well then what's good? Because I mean, I think it's the second commandment, don't use the Lord's name in vain, could be translated, don't do evil in God's name. So there's a ton right. of people out there breaking that commandment, doing, claiming, you know, what they're doing is good, whether it's like even police action or wars by the U.S. I'm going through this really interesting book talking about all the CIA actions and, you know, mm. surprise, kill, vanish, all these black, black operations where they're, you know, assassinations. You're going, there are some evil people out there mm. doing things like with arguably good intentions but like like you said the stain they then put on what the rest of us you know think feel whatever about our country is irreversible to other people in the world yeah and, and, and you know, Mitch we, talked about the, the lesser of two evils like is is that is that a case where you know uh, if if our country or other countries are carrying out these things that it's like well it's it's, it's for the greater good like is, is that it, it I asked a question: Is is World War Two was World War Two a just war to go and fight fight against Hitler and fight against Japan? Uh, there's plenty of people who would say yes, um, but my background and, and knowledge as a pacifist and really leaning into the words of Jesus, it, that it's it's not the way of the world to go to war and kill other people. It's just not. It's very hard for me to understand how we can justify taking a gun and killing anyone or taking a knife and whatever how whatever that method is. That the way of Jesus is contrary to the world. And if we use evil to fight evil, we become evil. And so if we choose the lesser of two evils, we're still using evil. We still become and participate in evil. And so that's one of my reasons that I, if our country went to war, I, it would be very difficult, near impossible for me to sign what up was, or be what drafted. What was the, pa- the pastor in Germany, Diedrich Bonhoeffer? Diedrich Bonhoeffer, yeah. I read a, uh, I think it's over here in Mitch's bookshelf. Yeah, it's right there. Bonhoeffer. Um, yeah. I, I read that as well. Super fascinating. Just how, 
you know, his, his journals and, and how Eric Metaxas lined out his life um, you know, as Nazi Germany was rising and the, the church warfare, like the, the, state, uh, the state church of Lutheranism in Germany mm-hmm. versus the, 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 what was it called? It was a free church that mm-hmm. was not state sanctioned that Dietrich was one of the founders of. Yeah, and I think if you know if you read the letters about uh, letters from prison, he he really dives into that idea, right? As Nazi Germany's taking over, as they're the power, and I think to bring that back to Revelation seventeen, that's what that's what you see, right? That that's the the picture there, and we can get so caught up in the symbolism of it. What do the seven hills mean, and who are these kings, and what does it mean that they've some have come and some have not yet come and some like are kind of in the middle. What what does that mean? We get caught up in that. But I think what the revelator and what Jesus wants us to see in this is that there are some then and now, I think the application applies for the last 2000 years that will sell themselves out to align with power. Mm-hmm. And so as we, uh, as we talk about pledging allegiance is it possible to pledge allegiance to multiple uh, entities, right? Is it possible to pledge allegiance to a country and to Jesus? And what does that look like here and now as we live in a a country that I love? I, I love being at this point in time in the United States. There's probably no other time in history that you would rather live as far as, you know, economic you know, and freedom and safety, right? You want all those things. But as you look at the history of the world, where, where do we, where do we fit in? And is it, what does allegiance to the lamb look like? And what does faithfulness to the lamb look like? Mm -hmm. Because the passage is talking about uh, adultery. And what does that mean to, to commit adultery? Yeah. And adultery was a huge way a metaphor for how the old testament prophets described israel and relationship with their god with yahweh Mm -hmm. and it it was it's constantly in there um the whole prophet um we uh jose hosea and gomer right Mm -hmm. yeah like it's it's a it's a weird kind of kind of thing to think about but as um israel would worship other gods they were supposed to be married to yahweh he was there, the the one who cared for them, loved for them, and and the and Israel was supposed to um, do these other things in in this covenant relationship similar to marriage, but they didn't. They broke that covenant time and time again, um, and and so they they I mean God it, it's kind of like a divorce, but it wasn't on God's it wasn't God's fault. It was Israel's fault mm. that they they essentially divorced and committed adultery with other gods, and that's you know. So final question, if I may, then to Mitch, when you talk about it, about Israel, so I, I have this idea that that Israel in it, so I'm, I'm obviously going to say that Israel in the future in Revelation is still a symbol of the people of God. Um, you talk about it being a literal Israel, and there is a state of Israel now, and so a lot of people think we're closer to the end times because Israel as a, as, a, as a nation is back. Um, I, as I read the whole council of the, old, of the New Testament, it's hard for me to find a scenario in which Israel and people uh, who don't have faith in Jesus, who don't have faith in Israel's Messiah, can come into the kingdom of God. Hmm. So what's that relationship between the future Israel as described in Revelation 
and salvation for them. Yeah, I think that that that's clear. I think it was um, 16 and, and uh, that that specifically talks about it, it might have been actually 17 where it talks about uh, those those who are written in the, the book of life. Right. I think that ultimately salvation is has always been dependent on belief in Jesus and pre um pre-birth of Jesus, pre-virgin birth was belief in the future coming of Jesus as Messiah and post its um, belief in Jesus that he came and and that he will come. And so it's I think it's always been dependent on Jesus. And so while I believe it's a, a literal nation of Israel, the 144,000 um, I think is, is uh, pretty undeniable. I believe it's Romans 6 where Paul talks about the future state of Israel and then ultimately, that your belief in that goes back to okay. Do you believe that those covenants with Abraham and David were conditional covenants or unconditional covenants? I think that they were unconditional. I can see the arguments for conditional, but ultimately, it, it ultimately comes down to what do you do? What do you do with Jesus? And mm-hmm. and all the way till the end. Yeah. yeah what no, what I, about Jesus? Right. <laughs> so then, going going back to the revelation part here. And, what, and especially there in 17, like, how do we, how does this all tie together with like our view of Christianity, our view of revelation? Are we, are we sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back or like, what's, is it, has this stuff already happened? Is it going to happen? Help me out here. Like, should I, we be, I think like, Mitch, Mitch said this at one point, uh, I think, and I'll just capitalize on that and then see what he thinks if he agrees with what I said about him. Uh, <laughs> he, he said like th- these things that are there, there's always times throughout history where you can give allegiance to someone who's not the lamb to not Jesus. And there's always these economic powers as represented by, by States, be it, be it Rome, be it Babylon, um, be it great Britain, whatever. Well, in the 1600s, they, it was, it was so clear. It was written about that. The antichrist is, is the Pope. Right. And yeah. in the Reformation, it was it was so clear to the reformers that that that's happening right now. Yeah. And the allegiance to the Roman Catholic papacy papacy was was the modern day Babylon at the time. The, right. <laughs> and we obviously don't believe that now or right. maybe it was and is and is yet and to will come continue to, to be <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that that those words are, are everywhere that the one who was is and is to come. These kings here in Revelation 17. um Oh, where was I? I? Just saw it. Oh, Revelation eleven: the beast who once was and now is not, and he will only remain for a little while. He's go, he's belongs to the seven is going to his destruction. I, I, I think these things continue to unfold, and we just have to make sure our allegiance is in the Lamb and not anything else. So would it be a good, would it be fair to say it's the spirit of Babylon, kind of like the spirit of Antichrist, where it's like you know the U.S. has a spirit of Babylon in it. it may not be the only Babylon. But has that that spirit of Babylon along with like the spirit of Antichrist? Is that a real spirit? That's or a just Mitch the question. He, the undefinable human spirit. <laughs> Pastor Mitch, that's for you. <laughs> I, I believe. I believe yes, yes, and um, I believe that the author is writing it with a specific view, with a, in a specific context, right? And yep. uh, I believe there's no doubt that John was was thinking of Rome when he's writing this. I also think that it applies over the course of time. If it if it just applied to a future state, then we would just be reading Revelation in a futurist point of view, right? I, I don't know if it would have made it into the canon if it didn't have 
a meaning for them then. Right, right. right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good and, point. That's a good point. And so if we just say, okay, this is this is for the end. We just need to wait for the rapture. Well, then the first chapter one would, wouldn't make any sense, right? Mm-hmm. Because chapter one, unlike any other book in all of scripture, says that the reader is blessed when they read it. And so... And keep it. If we're just yeah, if yeah. we're if we're just saying hey, th- this is all just future. There's no application now. Then what? That blessing makes no sense. And I'll, I'll just close with this as we as we sum up uh, what what we're talking about. The the last part there it says, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And so I think the application for all of us is despite all the speculation is what does it look like to be called and chosen and faithful? And what does that look like in our context? What does it look like as citizens of the United States? What does it look like in our churches, uh, in our marriages? What does it look like every single day to be called chosen and faithful? And that sounds like a predestination question for another day. (laughs) (laughs) There's more worms on the table. Absolutely. Hey, as we wrap this up, we're running out of time here, so we will get back to our picking our day and time on the next one. So, oh. but Pastor Shoot, Darren ends <laughs> next. Yeah, we'll have to get to that one next time. We ran out of time. Drew, uh, Drew's here. Drew knows. He'll, he'll Drew knows. Know next time. We'll ask Drew next time. He's the one that's you know doing the equation, right? So, Pastor Darren ends. Any parting thoughts as we wrap this up? No, we're good. Thanks, guys. Pastor Michelin, any parting thoughts? Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, let's uh, let's keep diving into the Book of Revelation and see what God has for us. Two more sermons. Two more. Absolutely. So once again, thank. If you have questions, life at forefrontchurch.tv. Shoot us an email, or if you're there on Sundays, drop a note in the connections box. We would love to hear from you. Questions you guys may have. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Rob Belazzi. You have been listening to more to the story a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.